What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Flowered Path. I'll get to this episode's saint, St. John Damascene, in a few moments. I wanted to try a new segment to start off the show, Saints and Related Topics in the News. Early in the morning on January 14th, 2023, a 32-year-old man, Carlos Alonso, was found at the doors of a church with a serious neck wound. Alonso had jumped the fence at Christ the King Parish Church in Monterrey, Mexico, broke through a glass door, and was attempting to steal a statue of St. Michael the Archangel. As he was trying to flee with the statue, Alonso tripped and fell on St. Michael's sword, injuring himself. A passerby saw the wounded man and called emergency services. The rescue workers had to cut the padlock on the church gate in order to enter and treat Alonzo. He was taken to a clinic for treatment and is expected to recover, after which he will be turned over to the authorities. No harm was done to the statue of St. Michael. In September of 1990, on a road near Agrigento in Sicily, a group of hired criminals ambushed and killed a young judge. Judge Rosario Livatino was just 37 years old, but he'd already established a reputation as a fair and fearless magistrate. The judge was especially dedicated to cases involving organized crime, corruption of public officials, and money laundering. This work brought him to the attention of the mobsters, who ultimately planned and executed his death. Rosario Livatino stopped in a church to pray every morning on his way to work. He kept a crucifix and Bible in his desk and was said to consult the gospel before important court proceedings, 
such as sentencing hearings. Not wishing others to put themselves at risk for his sake, he refused the government's offer of a personal security guard. Livetino's private diaries reveal an abundance of highly personal reflections on matters of faith. A blood-stained shirt he was wearing when he died has been preserved as a relic at the cathedral in Agrigento. In January of 2023, the relic was temporarily brought to Rome for display at churches, schools, government offices, and even the headquarters of the Italian financial police. Coincidentally, while the faithful venerated Libertino's relic in Rome this January, Italian police in Palermo arrested a major crime boss with connections to the Sicilian Mafia. Rosario Libertino was beatified on May 9, 2021. Because the Church considers him a martyr for the faith, Livetino could be canonized in the event of one confirmed intercession. Although none have yet been recognized by the Vatican, there is at least one report of a miraculous healing associated with him. The reliquary containing his relic is inscribed with the letters STD, an acronym Livetino used frequently in his own writings, short for the Latin phrase Sub Tutela Dei, which translates as under the oversight or protection of God. Jared Farnham, 31, was arrested and accused of the attempted theft of relics from the Subiaco Abbey in Logan County, Arkansas. An apparently intoxicated Mr. Farnham smashed his way through a marble altar and removed two brass-colored boxes containing relics thought to be over 1,500 years old. He also attempted to remove the cross from the top of the tabernacle. The altar, imported from Italy, was left with a large hole and significant cracks and chips. The disturbance prompted a lockdown of a college preparatory school connected with the church while police secured the area. It is unclear why Mr. Fardum was not arrested. However, once the police left the area, he returned to resume his pilfering. Upon a second call, the police arrested Mr. Farnham, who faces likely charges of property theft, criminal mischief in the first degree, residential burglary, breaking and entering, and public intoxication. Police discovered one of the relic boxes in Mr. Farnham's vehicle, along with tools covered with marble dust. The second box was later located and returned to the Abbey, according to the Sheriff's Office. The marble altar was heavily damaged by a large hammer during the robbery. The monks had been using a portable altar and praying for Mr. Farnham until repairs could be made. The church indicated the monks will also recite prayers intended for use after the desecration of a church. Mr. Farnham is currently being held at the Logan County Detention Center and is pending charges. The sheriff noted the difficulty in ascertaining proper charges and penalties for desecration of an altar and estimating a value pertaining to such relics. According to their website, the Subiaco Abbey is a Roman Catholic monastery founded in 1878, with origins tracing back to St. Benedict. St. Benedict is known as the father of Western monasticism and is the patron saint of Europe. News writers for The Flower Path are patrons and friends of the show, Sarah and Kevin. Thank you so much, Sarah and Kevin.
St. John of Damascus, or St. John Damascene, the names are used interchangeably, was born at a most liminal time and place. Damascus, which was previously one of the most important cities of the Byzantine Empire, had been taken by Muslims in the year 634, not long before John was born. In fact, it was said that John's grandfather was responsible for brokering the terms of peace with the Islamic invaders to end the siege of Damascus. The political and religious tides were changing. Though the new Islamic leaders allowed Christians and Jews to live and continue practicing their religions in the city as so-called people of the book, that is, those whose religion was rooted in the Bible but who were not Muslim, they would have additional taxes placed upon them. Into this uncertain time and place, John Damascene was born, sometime around the year 676. He was named after St. John the Baptist. The only known biography of John Damascene was written by another man named John, John Patriarch of Jerusalem nearly 200 years after the saint's demise. Damascus was a shining star in the region, known for its beautiful gardens, famed as the city in which St. Paul walked soon after his conversion. John's father, Sergius Manser, was employed as the chief financial officer for Abdul Malik, the Caliph, Sergius, a devout Christian, wanted John to receive the best education available, and began seeking tutors for his son. One day, Sergius discovered a Sicilian monk named Cosmas was being held as a slave in the Damascus marketplace. His fellow prisoners were throwing themselves at Cosmas' feet, begging for the monk's prayer and blessing. Cosmas himself, being too old to work a job of manual labor, was scheduled to be executed. Approaching Cosmas, Sergius noticed the monk's eyes were filled with tears. Cosmas did not fear death. He wept for the loss of learning that would die with him. Not only the religious education, but the philosophy of Plato and the teachings of the Greek scholars, knowledge which Cosmas had accumulated through a lifetime of study, would now go to the grave with the monk. Sergius used his connections with the caliph, paid the slave ransom for Cosmas, and designated him as his son's teacher. The monk was happy indeed to pass his knowledge to eager students. John made great progress as a student, excelling in geometry, algebra, astronomy, and theology. John was educated not only in Christian theology, but the teachings of Islam as well, something that would serve him well in his future as an apologist. When Cosmos had taught all he knew, he received permission to retire to a monastery. He went to St. Sabbath's Monastery south of Jerusalem, where he lived until the end of his days. John became the chief counselor of Damascus after his father died. Around this time, the iconoclast movement inspired by Islam and to a lesser extent Judaism, was making waves through the Christian world. The iconoclasts held that the veneration of images by Christians 
was equivalent to the worship of idols and prohibited by the Bible. The movement was boosted by Emperor Leo the Isaurian, who removed the image of Christ from the chalk gate of Constantinople, and in the year 726 issued an edict against the creation and veneration of icons. John argued so effectively against the iconoclast that he won the hearts and minds of many Christians, even over the emperor. In the year 730, Leo issued another edict which further prohibited the veneration of icons and attempted to ban their display in public. John responded with another apology, which in its eloquent simplicity won the hearts of the people. A third letter to the emperor warned that there would be consequences as a result of the edicts. Angered, Emperor Leo had a letter forged in John's hand, which showed the Damascene's intent to betray the caliph and turned Damascus over to Leo. This forgery was then sent to the caliph. Though John pleaded his innocence, the caliph took the forged letter to be legitimate. He ordered that the hand that wrote those words was to be cut off at the wrist. After this harsh punishment was carried out, John found himself in almost intolerable pain. John asked the caliph for the severed hand, thinking that if it were buried, as opposed to just being hung in the marketplace, as a warning to others, he might get some relief, or at least a measure of mental comfort. Before burying the hand, John fell to his knees before an icon of the Blessed Virgin and prayed for her intercession, that he might receive a quick healing of his wound. He placed the severed hand against his wounded wrist and prayed until he fell asleep. John dreamed of the Virgin Mary, who assured him that he would be healed. Upon waking, John found his hand fully restored, as healthy as his other hand. As a tribute to our mother, he added a third hand, crafted from silver, to the icon. If you see an icon of Mary with three hands, it is based on the icon created or modified by St. John Damascene. Sometimes all three hands are mistakenly ascribed to Mary, leading to descriptions of the icons, such as Mary with three arms or Mary with three hands. The third hand, however, represents St. John's hand, miraculously healed through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hearing of the miraculous healing, the caliph summoned John for questioning. Though John's enemies tried to dismiss the miracle, a red line showed where his hand was rejoined to his wrist, and no doctor could have performed that surgery. The caliph was convinced both of the miracle healing and of John's innocence, and offered the Damascene his old position. John, however, was called to the life of a religious, and journeyed to the monastery of St. Sabbas, where his tutor Cosmas had gone before him. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. John was happily received at St. Sabbath, but his reputation preceded him. It was difficult to find a monk willing to instruct the novice Damascene. After a time, an old monk agreed to instruct John in the rules of monastic obedience. Prayer and silence were the order, and perhaps most difficult for John, he was not to write, not even letters. John faced another trial. He was to return to Damascus, where he had been so well known and respected, with a load of baskets made by the monks. There he was to sell the baskets at double their value and was not, under any circumstances, allowed to lower the price. As it was the custom to bargain and haggle in marketplaces, this would subject John to verbal abuse. John took the baskets to the streets of Damascus and there suffered insults and ridicule for hours as he attempted to sell his wares. Finally, an old friend recognized John and, out of pity, bought every basket on hand at the asking price. On another occasion, a fellow monk, whose brother had died, asked John to compose a funeral hymn. At first John resisted, thinking that writing a song might break his vows as a novitiate. Eventually John relented and composed a short hymn. When the old monk heard music, he expelled John as an insubordinate. Only through the pleading of the other monks did the elder yield, but not without assigning John a harsh penance. He was assigned a job so degrading that the other monks gasped when they heard it. John, however, took to his task humbly, earning the respect of all, even his aged teacher. Soon John's elder teacher would receive a message in his sleep. He dreamt of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who asked the old monk to no longer damn the stream of song and words which issued from the Damascene. The old monk called John to him and removed all of the restrictions previously placed upon him. He was free to write prose, poetry, and music. Free from limitations, John wrote and wrote. His hymns are still sung today. His history of Christianity is considered essential to scholars of the church. John became a priest, but while he did occasionally offer Mass at local churches, his main concentration was on his writing and scholarship. In the year 754, Emperor Constantine Compronimus, Emperor Leo's successor, convened the Pseudo-Synod of Constantinople. 
continuing the Empire's support of the iconoclastic principles. John Damascene was condemned by the Council, who deemed him a cursed favor of Saracens, a traitorous worshiper of images, a wronger of Jesus Christ, a teacher of impiety, and a bad interpreter of the scriptures. The emperor even commanded John to be named Manzer, Greek and Latin for bastard, an insulting play of words on John's last name, Manzer. However, Theophanes, writing in the year 813, noted a different name for the saint. He was known as Chrysereus, which meant golden stream, because of that grace of spirit which shines like gold, both in his doctrine and in his life. The exact date of John's death is unknown. He died sometime between the years 754 and 787. It is unknown whether John lived to see the fruits of his apologetic writings on icons, as the iconoclastic controversy ended in 787, when the Eastern Empire was brought in line with the Seventh Ecumenical Council at Nicaea, which declared, even as the figure of the cross was honored, so images of the Savior and Blessed Virgin of angels and of saints, whether painted or mosaic, or of any other suitable material, are set up for kissing and other honorable reverence, but not for that real worship which belongs to the divine nature alone. St. John Damascene's feast day is December 4th. He was declared a doctor of the church in 1890. St. John Damascene was clear in his distinction between the worship of icons and other material things and the veneration of what these things represent. His defense of icons encouraged Christians to remove from a childlike literal interpretation of the Bible to a more intellectual and nuanced understanding of Scripture. I include here some excerpts from St. John Damascene's writings in the defense of holy images. These are taken from the book St. John Damascene on Holy Images, translated from the original Greek by Mary H. Allies and published in 1898. If we made an image of the invisible God, we should in truth do wrong, for it is impossible to make a statue of one who is without a body, invisible, boundless, and formless. Again, if we made statues of men and held them to be gods, worshipping them as such, we should be most impious, but we do neither. For in making the image of God, who became incarnate and visible on earth, a man amongst men, through his unspeakable goodness, taking upon him shape and form of flesh, we are not misled. We long to see what he was like. As the divine apostle says, we see now in a glass darkly. The image, too, is a dark glass, according to the denseness of our bodies. The mind, in much travail, cannot rid itself of bodily things. Shame upon you, wicked devil, for grudging us the sight of our Lord's likeness and our sanctification through it. You would not have us gaze at his saving sufferings, nor wonder at his condescension, neither contemplate his miracles, nor praise his almighty power. You grudge the saints the honor God gives to them. You would not have us see their glory put on record, nor allow us to become imitators of their fortitude and faith. We will not obey your suggestions, wicked and man-hating devil, 
Listen to me, people of all nations, men, women, and children, all of you who bear the Christian name. If anyone preached to you something contrary to what the Catholic Church has received from the holy apostles and fathers and councils, and has kept down to the present day, do not heed him. But say those who do not enter into the mind of Scripture, God said through Moses, the lawgiver, Thou shalt not make to thyself the likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath. And through the prophet David, let them be all confounded that adore graven things, and that glory in their idols, and many similar passages. Whatever they have quoted from Holy Scripture and the Fathers is to the same intent. It is impossible to make an image of God, who is a pure spirit, invisible, boundless, having neither form nor circumscription. How can we make an image of what is invisible? No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And again, no one shall see my face and live, saith the Lord. Listen again, that it is so. Thou shalt not make to thyself any brazen thing, nor any likeness. These things, he says, they made by God's commandment, a hanging of violet, purple, scarlet, and fine twisted linen in the entrance of the tabernacle, and the cherubim in woven work. And they made also the propitiatory, that is, the oracle of the purest gold, and the two cherubim. What will you say to this, O Moses? You say, Thou shalt not make to thyself any graven thing, nor any likeness, and you yourself fashion cherubim of woven work, and two cherubim of pure gold. Listen to the answer of God's servant Moses. You blind and foolish people, mark the force of what is said, and keep your souls carefully. I said that you had seen no likeness on the day when the Lord spoke to you on Mount Horeb, in the midst of the fire, lest you should sin against the law, and make for yourselves a brazen likeness. Thou shalt not make any image of gods of metal. I never said that thou shalt not make any image of cherubim in adoration before the propitiatory. What I said was, Thou shalt not make to thyself gods of metal, and thou shalt not make any likenesses as of God, nor shalt thou adore the creature instead of the Creator, nor any creature whatsoever as God, nor have I served the creature rather than the Creator. Note how the object of Scripture becomes clear to those who really search it. You must know, beloved, that in every business truth and falsehood are distinguished, and the object of the doer, whether it be good or bad, in the gospel we find all things good and evil. God, the angels, man, the heavens, the earth, water and fire, and air, the sun, and moon and stars, light and darkness, Satan and the devils, the serpent and scorpions, death and hell, virtues and vices. And because everything told about them is true, and the object in view is the glory of God and the saints whom he has honored, our salvation and the shame of the devil we worship and embrace and love these utterances and receive them with our whole heart as we do the whole of the old and new dispensation and all the spoken testimony of the Holy Fathers. Now we reject the evil, abominable writings of heathens and Manichaeans and all other heretics as containing foolishness and lies, promoting the advantage of Satan and his demons and giving them pleasure, although they contain the name of God. So with regard to images, we must manifest the truth and take into account the intention of those who make them. If it be in very deed for the glory of God and of his saints to promote goodness, 
to avoid evil and save souls, we should receive and honor and venerate them as images and remembrances, likenesses, and the books of the illiterate. We should love and embrace them with hand and heart as reminders of the incarnate God, or his mother, or of the saints, the participators in the suffering and the glory of Christ, the conquerors and overthrowers of Satan, and diabolical fraud. If any one should dare to make an image of Almighty God, who is pure spirit, invisible, uncircumscribed, we reject it as a falsehood. If any one make images for the honor and worship of the devil and his angels, we abhor them and deliver them to the flames. Or if any one give divine honors to the statues of men, or birds, or reptiles, or any other created thing, we anathematize them. As our forefathers in the faith pulled down the temples of demons, and erected on the same spot churches dedicated to saints whom we honor, so they overturned the statues of demons, and set up instead the images of Christ, of his holy mother, and the saints. Even in the old dispensation, Israel neither raised temples to human beings, nor held sacred the memory of a man. At that time, Adam's race was under a curse, and death was a penalty. Therefore a mourning. A corpse was looked upon as unclean, and the man who touched it as contaminated. But since the Godhead has taken to himself our nature, it has become glorified as a vivifying and efficacious remedy, and has been transformed unto immortality. Thus the death of the saints is a rejoicing, and churches are raised to them, and their images are set up. Be assured that anyone wishing to pull down an image erected out of pure zeal for the glory and enduring memory of Christ, or of his holy mother, or of any of the saints, to put the devil and his satellites to shame. Anyone, I say, refusing to honor and venerate this image as sacred, it is not to be worshipped as God, is an enemy of Christ, of his blessed mother, and of the saints, and is an advocate of the devil and his crew, showing grief by his conduct that the saints are honored and glorified, and the devil put to shame. The image is a hymn of praise, a manifestation, a lasting token of those who have fought and conquered, and of demons humbled and put to flight. It is not matter which I adore, it is the Lord of matter, becoming matter for my sake, taking up his abode in matter, and working out my salvation through matter. For the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. It is evident to all that flesh is matter, and that it is created. I reverence and honor matter, and worship that which has brought about my salvation. I honor it, not as God, but as a channel of divine strength and grace. Was not the thrice-blessed wood of the cross matter, and the sacred and holy mountain of Calvary? Was not the holy sepulchre matter, the life-giving stone, the source of our resurrection? Was not the book of the Gospels matter, and the holy table which gives us the bread of life? Are not gold and silver matter, of which crosses and holy pictures and chalices are made? And above all, is not the Lord's body and blood composed of matter? Either reject the honor and worship of all these things, or conform to ecclesiastical tradition, sanctifying the worship of images in the name of God and of God's friends, and so obeying the grace of the Divine Spirit. If I venerate and worship as the instruments of salvation, the cross and lance and reed and sponge, by means of which the Jews scorned and put to death my Lord, shall I not also venerate images that Christians make, with a good intention for the glory and remembrance of Christ? If I worship the image of the cross, made of whatever wood it may be, shall I not worship the image which shows me the crucified, 
and my salvation through the cross. Everyone must recognize that a man who attempts to dishonor an image which has been set up for the glory and remembrance of Christ, of his Holy Mother, or one of his saints, is an enemy of Christ, his Holy Mother, and the saints. It is also set up to shame the devil and his crew, out of love and zeal for God. The man who refuses to give this image due honor, though it is not divine, is an upholder of the devil and his demon host, showing by his act grief that God and the saints are honored and glorified and the devil put to shame. The image is a canticle and manifestation and monument to the memory of those who have fought bravely and won the victory to the shame and confusion of the vanquished. My sources for this episode, including the sources for the news segment, can be found in the show notes for this episode at thefloweredpath.com. I would like to thank my new patrons, Miranda Anderson and Jacob, and thanks to Camille Gunturk for the PayPal donation. Patrons and donations like these help me make The Flowered Path. All patrons get the regular episodes of The Flowered Path ad-free, often before they drop on the regular podcast feed. Rose and Orchid Tier patrons also get shout-outs on the show. Orchid Tier patrons get monthly merch mailings as well. To check out all of the patron options and benefits, and to help me to continue to make The Flowered Path, go to patreon.com slash thefloweredpath. You can also find a PayPal link if you want to make a one-time donation. Just click the support button at thefloweredpath.com and look for the PayPal button that says Donate. Please like and subscribe to The Flowered Path wherever you are listening. If you are inclined to leave us a nice review, that will help as well. The Flowered Path is on YouTube, so please subscribe to our channel there. And no matter where you listen, if you like what you hear, please share the episodes on social media. You can find The Flowered Path on Facebook, facebook.com slash thefloweredpath, on Instagram, at thefloweredpath, and on the web at thefloweredpath.com.